Well, we are in week four of our teaching series, Thriving Where You Are, and today we find Joseph living into his dream, living into the dream that God had planted in him a long time before. As a child, as a young teenager, God had given him this dream that he was going to be somebody, that he had a purpose and a plan that his brothers might bow down to him someday and his father might bow down to him someday and, and he's been through all of these, these events and these traumas and these trials and some successes and some failures. But today we find Joseph living into his dream. And we'll talk about what it looks like when he lives, lives into that dream, but, but what we're going to focus on today is getting there, getting to that dream. And it really focuses on just the first few words of two years past. What does it take to get there? What does it take to live into a dream? And so we're going to look at Joseph's story as he sees his dream fulfilled and sees God working through it. Would you join me in prayer? Holy God, as we... Read your word at this time. I ask that your word would speak life into our lives. Open our hearts and minds to hear your voice this day. It's in the name of Jesus the Christ, your Son, our Savior, that we pray. Amen. I invite you to hear this reading from Genesis chapter 41. Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and began grazing in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up behind them from the Nile. But these were scrawny and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the riverbank. Then the scrawny, thin cows ate the seven healthy, fat cows. At this point in the dream... Pharaoh woke up, but he fell asleep again and had a second dream, and this time he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. The seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were shriveled and withered by the east wind, and these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads, and then Pharaoh woke up and realized it was a dream. The next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams, and so he called for all of the magicians and the wise men in Egypt. And when Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. And finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today, I have been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. Some time ago, you were angry with the chief baker and me, and you imprisoned us in the the palace of the captain of the guard. One night, the chief cupbearer and I had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning, and there was a young Hebrew man with us in prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard, and we told him our dreams, and he told us what each of them meant, and everything happened just as he predicted. I was restored to my position as the cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. And Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means, but I have heard that you 
that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. That is beyond my power to do, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So Pharaoh told Joseph his dream. Joseph responded, both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin and scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. This will happen just as I described it, for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward, there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years, have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring to Pharaoh's storehouses, store it away and guard it there so there will be food in the cities. That way, there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh. And his officials. And so Pharaoh asked his officials, Can we find anyone else like this man, obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. As predicted, for seven years the land produced bumper crops. And during those years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields and the cities. He piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashores. Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. And at last... The seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end. And then the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph predicted. The famine also struck the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt there was plenty of food. Eventually, however, the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well. And when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, Go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. So with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. And people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was so severe throughout the world. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Lord, We're about to hear a simple message from your word, from a simple man. 
I ask, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here, Lord, that they would be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are our rock and you are our redeemer. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So Joseph has seen an awful lot. A lot up to this point. And today we see his dream fulfilled. Finally, finally, Joseph's dream is fulfilled. But it took a whole lot to get there, didn't it? took a whole lot for Joseph to see his dream become reality. You know, he had his family drama, his brothers that hated him, his father that, that loved him too much and his other brothers not enough. He was sold into slavery. He had some successes. He rose in Potiphar's house only to become accused of a crime he didn't, be, he didn't commit, to be imprisoned for something he never did, and then to spend all this time waiting and a lot of folks would look at Joseph's story as a story of tragedy, this spiraling out of control, all of these things that are going wrong. Except for the dream. Except for the dream. You know, when you know the ending of a story, it changes the emotion, doesn't it? It really does. I remember when I watched um, the movie The Sixth Sense for the first time, how blown away I was by that movie, but when I watched it a second time and I realized from the beginning that he sees dead people, that it just completely ruined it and I didn't need to ever see the movie again. It was similar to when I saw the movie Signs um, and then I realized that, you know, it's just the water that kills the aliens and I, I, I don't need to watch this movie again either, again either. And last night, for instance, as I was watching Star Trek, the original series, and Spock's was, brain was disassociated from his body and there was, quote, no way to ever put it back, I knew that that was not true because in the next episode, Spock's in the next episode. When, when you know the end of the story, it changes the emotion of how you respond to it, doesn't it? It's different, though, when you're living in the middle of the pain and you don't know what's going to happen next. When you don't know what's going to come next. It's different living in the moment. And Joseph didn't know. Joseph didn't know how long he was going to be waiting And in those times in our lives, and, and I'm sure in Joseph's life, because he's, he was a regular guy too, probably was asking the same questions we would have asked. Why? Have you ever wondered why? Why does God allow pain? Why does God allow these things to happen, these events and these situations and these relationships and these conflicts to happen in our lives and these times of waiting where it seems like nothing is happening, when God has given us a purpose and a vision of something to complete. Because Joseph had a dream. God had given him a purpose, a mission, a dream to fulfill, and he's stuck in prison for two years? Is there a purpose? That's what I ask when I'm stuck. What's the purpose in this? Why am I meant to suffer through this? 
And we see examples throughout history of this. We, we really do. And it's, it's kind of comical at sometimes, but it's not, that you know, pain and success often go together. And so some of those commonly known ones would be like people like Walt Disney, right, who's, who's noted for being this very successful person, you know, creating Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Goofy. But, but we also know that in 1919, he was fired from his job at the Kansas City Star because, I quote, he lacked imagination and he had no good ideas. He was a failure. Or Steve Jobs, right? Notably, the father quoted, like literally, he is the father of the digital revolution. iPhone, iPad, iPad iMac. He was kicked out of Apple, right? He was literally kicked out of Apple. The father of digital revolution. Steven Spielberg, right? Director of some of my favorite movies of all time. Steven Spielberg was rejected admittance three times to a film school that now has a building named after him, right? Talk about failure. And I mean, J.K. Rowling's is an easy one. We all know her story, or maybe we don't. So she's famous now for the Harry Potter books, but when she was, when she was younger and she had these ideas and was trying to put them on paper in the 90s and, and before, she was, she was divorced, she was jobless, she was penniless, she was a single mom, she was moving around as a teacher trying to get some jobs and just get money. And she, she writes that she was suffering from depression and anxiety and she was living on government subsidies and in 1995, which is not that long ago, 1995, when she finished Harry Potter, the first book, it was rejected by all 12, all 12 major publishers. Did you know that? Harry Potter was rejected by all 12 major publishers. It was only a tiny little publisher over in England that said, I'll give it a chance and we'll print 1,000 copies. Failure. Henry Ford, our own Henry Ford, noted for, for building this amazing company in its time. Prior to that, he had countless companies fail and countless bankruptcies. Failure and upon failure upon failure to build one company that succeeded. Is there a purpose for the trial? Is there a purpose for the pain? Is there a reason why we have to endure suffering to achieve God's purposes in our life? And I need to be very clear, God does not make those things happen. Do not hear me see, say that God makes those trials happen. He doesn't. But do we need the pain? And do we need the hurt? Do we need the trial to understand the blessing? This is something that I, I believe we all struggle with when we really start deep, thinking deeply about our faith and our life and our understanding of God. Do we need to suffer to understand blessing? Can you, can you truly understand joy and know what joy is if you've never suffered? Can you fully appreciate God if you've never lived in a time where you felt abandoned by God? It's very hard to reconcile. It is very hard. And, and the more I learn and the more I personally grow, I find myself falling more and more in line with A.W. Tozer, who, who said in the book, uh, The Road of the Righteous, he said, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And that's a, a message of controversy all of itself, and we could sit for hours and discuss that. But it brings us to a place of thought 
Why the suffering for Joseph? Because he suffered again and again and again and again and again. <laughs> Two full years had passed. Why so long? Why did he have to wait two years? The cupbearer was told, when things go well for you, remember me, because I'm in this prison and I shouldn't be. That, that, that's what we talked about last week. And he's stuck waiting. Joseph was faithful. He was obedient. He was doing what he needed to do. He had a good, a good disposition. Why are you guys frowning in this prison? Right? as we talked about last week. God was with Joseph. Yahweh, the personal form of God, was with him. Why wait? And the answer is, is that God is still at work in the pain. God is working on us in our times of hardship. God works on us in our times of hardship. So before we can get to living into the dream, we have to get there first. And so I want to talk for a minute about my friend Job. You see, Job learned a lot through hardship. You want to talk about a man who suffered in life. Job, the biblical character Job, suffered immensely. He not only had his children die, he had his family completely die, his home burned to the ground, he lost everything. And I'm not just talking about like money and possessions, I mean everything. He couldn't even say, well, at least I have my health, because he didn't have his health either. Literally, Job had nothing. Nada. Zero. Zip. Zilch. Nothing. And so he goes to God, and he starts searching for answers, because that's what we do, right? We, we ask, why? Why? Why all of the pain? Why the sorrow? Why the tragedy? Why, why is this happening? And so this is what he says. My complaint today is still a bitter one, and I try hard not to groan aloud. If only I knew where to find God, I would go to his court. I would lay out my case and present my arguments. Then I would listen to his reply and understand what he's saying to me. Would he use his great power to argue with me? No, he would give me a fair hearing. Honest people can reason with him, so I would be forever acquitted by my judge. I go east, but he's not there. I go west, but I can't find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed. Do you ever wish that you could just have five minutes alone with God, one-on-one, -on -one, where he would actually answer any question you would give him? I know I do. You see, Job is at that spot. Everything's gone wrong. He's waiting why is this happening to me? What is the purpose in all of this? What is your purpose, God, for this in my life? What is the purpose, God, for this and where we are? Answer my questions of why. Answer my questions of how long. If you would do that, I would endure for as long as you want me to. If you would just answer my why, answer my how long, and I'll be good to go. If I only knew. If you could just tell me but then Job goes one step farther because hey, that's where we stop often in life. We stop with that, just tell me the answer, and then we, we stick our heels in and we don't go any farther. But Job goes one step farther, and that's what I want you to hear where he goes next. The next verse, he says this. 
but he knows where I am going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. For I have stayed on God's path. I have followed his ways and not turned aside. I have not departed from his commands, but I have treasured his words more than daily food. He knows where I am going, and when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. That's the key to this verse. That's the key to this whole thing. Because our hardship is God's refinement. Our hardship is God's refinement. God did not start the fire that seems to be consuming us, but he will surely use it. He didn't start the fire, but he's going to use it. The hardship, the trial, the tragedy, the thing that we are dealing with in our waiting, God uses it to purify us, to the, a process of refinement as though you're refining gold, to hone us as iron sharpens iron, to prepare us. And the, the key is it's not for our gain. It's not that when he tests me, I'm going to become rich or I'm going to be famous or I'm going to be happy or I'm going to be successful. No, it's, it's for God's game that when he tests me, I will be like gold for God. I will be ready like Joseph, prepared for the dream that is set before me. I will be deployable, refined by the fire, and purified. Joseph spent two years waiting. And we may think that it was wasted time, but it's never wasted time. The waiting is not a waste. It might seem like nothing is happening, but truly, there's a lot going on in that time. Joseph was being strengthened in that time. He was being perfected by God in that time. He was being refined by the fires of his trials. He was being shaped, and all of it by God. All of it. Because God was still with Joseph in the waiting. Yahweh was with Joseph, the personal form of God. God was personally with Joseph in the waiting, in the trial, in the tragedy. And we see it throughout, throughout the Bible, throughout Scripture, and throughout so many other times how God uses waiting. I mean, just, just looking at a couple of people, I mean, Abraham had to wait for the birth of Isaac. He kind of screwed up a little bit in there, here and there. But Moses also had to wait he had to wait until he was an old man to lead the people out of Egypt and the Exodus. Elijah waited by the river. Noah had to wait nearly 120 years for rain. Have you ever waited that long for rain? No, Noah did. Paul waited for, in hiding for three years. You see, God works on us in our waiting. And it may seem like nothing is happening. It may feel like we're going nowhere. But God is working on us in our waiting. And he has everything planned out for the future. And so our waiting helps refine us. And when the time is right, when the time is right, things move fast. Very fast. God moves on his timetable. And it was quick for Joseph. Two years later, Pharaoh had these dreams and everything fell into place. Joseph was refined by God by then. He was prepared for his role. He was prepared to live into the dream that was given to him 
Before he was sold into slavery as a 17-year-old boy. Now he's 35 years old. If you do the math, that's 18 years, which means he spent more time in Egypt than he did at home with his family. 18 years from being in Egypt, getting to Egypt, to seeing the beginning of the dream fulfilled. Not the end of the dream fulfilled, but just a glimpse of the beginning of it. He's made the second in command. He takes a new Egyptian name. He, he marries Potiphera's daughter. They have two sons. Seven years of good crops. The famine starts. And he start, we start to see in the story, because we know the ending of the story, but we start, the narrator starts to show us God's plan and purpose as it starts to come into clarity and we realize that this is not really just about Joseph and a dream. This is about a people and the world and saving people and restoring people. So Joseph's story teaches us a few things that we can take into our own times of transition because we all find ourselves in times of waiting. We all find ourselves in times of trial and sorrow and suffering and waiting in that time where we're like, I'm just, I'm on this recumbent bike, putting a lot of energy in, but I'm not going anywhere. Joseph's story teaches us that we must trust God during our times of waiting. We must trust that God Trusting God during our times of waiting. And that means trusting without panic. Joseph trusted without panic. Joseph wasn't in prison like, oh no, is it today? Did they talk today? Did he remember me? Did anybody hear anything? Did anybody hear anything? Did the cupbearer, did he remember me? Did he remember me? Did he say anything to you? Did he say anything to me? Did he say, What's going on in the palace? Did anybody see in the palace? What's going on there? Did you see on Facebook? Was it on Facebook? Is Potiphar there? What's going on? Did anybody see anything on Instagram? What's going on? Panic infuses our lives in the waiting as we try to search for that information. And that panic is a byproduct of a lack of trust. Joseph reminds us that we have to trust without panicking, as he did in prison, because the Lord is with us. And we have to count on God to handle the cupbearers in our lives. Because God will handle the cupbearers in our lives. The cupbearer remembered Joseph when Joseph was ready and prepared to be the leader he was called to be. We have to let God be God. And we must be the servant and be faithful in our times of waiting. And, and remember what God promised in Deuteronomy 31.6 when he says, he will never fail you nor abandon you, that God, Yahweh, the personal God, Jesus Christ himself, the Holy Spirit, the sustaining presence of God will never abandon us. And so we must trust God during our times of waiting. The second thing that we learn from Joseph's story is that when God moves, we must show gratitude. We need to be grateful because only God, it is, it is only God that brings us out of the prisons of our life. Realize that it is God who brings Joseph out of prison. God gave Pharaoh a dream. God Helped the cupbearer remember Joseph. Pharaoh calls Joseph to interpret the dream, not because Joseph can interpret dreams, but who has the power to interpret dreams? God has the power to interpret dreams. Who is the instigator in all of this? God is the instigator in all of this. 
God is the one who sets Joseph free. God is the only one who sets us free. And only God can reward our faithfulness as well. And so when God moves, we must respond not with pride or arrogance that, ooh, look at me, look what I've done, but with humility and gratitude. Accept the blessings with humility as Joseph does and then serve others out of that blessing as we talked about a few weeks ago. The purpose of blessings was never intended to bless ourselves but to bless other people. So I leave you with one final verse on this line. Only Jesus truly sets us free. Only Jesus truly sets us free. And the way he said it himself was that, so if the Son sets you free, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your presence in our times of waiting. Give us the patience to wait with you. Give us eyes to see your refining work in us as we endure until your spirit moves us into the time of your intended purposes. Give us grateful hearts that always and in every way we would give thanks to you for the sure abundance that you have poured out on us. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, that we pray. Amen.